The Silly Goose Gang Podcast. We are back with episode 34 of the Silly Goose Gang Podcast, and we're delighted to be joined this evening by explorer, cave diver, technical diver, uh, Robbie Schmittner. So, Robbie, thank you very much for joining us this evening or this afternoon, your time out in uh, the Yucatan, I believe you are. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, just for, for people that are listening that maybe don't know you, Robbie, I kind of first, I suppose, discovered you or heard about you through um, the TV show Undiscovered Worlds you did with uh, Steve Batchel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, I found out when I was doing a bit of research that you kind of mapped out and discovered, and I believe it's 300 kilometres of caves you connected there, and I apologise if I butcher this pronunciation, the Sakaktun and the Dos Ojos. <laughs> it's the Dos, Dos Ojos, which means two eyes in Spanish. But yeah, that, that was the, the last big uh, hit, the last big connection in this 22 years, which I'm here, which I'm here trying to find caves, explore new cave passageways and make connections. Yeah. Awesome. So where did that, where did you end up? You know, you've just said there 22 years you've been doing this for. So take us back. When did that, the desire to go underground, underwater, <laughs> where did that come from? It, it was just, I started uh, diving at all uh, as a hobby in Germany, where we don't have a lot of possibilities to go diving, some little quarries, built quarries and stuff, but it was always very attractive. I like love diving all the time and I started that as a hobby and it was a coincidence that the instructor I had, Gunnar Wagner in Germany, was married to a Mexican woman and when I first met them they said, oh we're going to open a dive shop in Mexico one day. And that day came and I, I was a dive master with them already. I already started helping them and teaching people diving and so on. We had a friendship, I started working with them. And then they went to Mexico and said, okay, now we're there in the peninsula of Yucatan and uh, you, you have to come, you have to see it. And we went into this cave diving. That is, that is it, that's the best ever. There's no, nothing you can compare it with. You have to do a course. And they were damn right. I got there, I did the course, and I got hooked completely. I couldn't get that caves out of my mind anymore. Yeah, it's um, such a, a, an interesting um, part of the world, Robbie. Um, I think everybody, you know, connects the Yucatan with the, you know, the, the comet impact that you know that killed off the dinosaurs. So, um, were you aware of that? Um, before you went, was that part of the, the, the attraction or? Not at all, not at all. And actually that crater or that hit of the big uh, meteor, you can't see, you can't tell, it's way too big, you know. It, it, you can see that that has a shape. And also coming here, um, people were talking about that the caves were formed by that hit of that crater, uh, that meteor. and. Um, it seems to be that nobody had really a clue if that is true or not. It was just that rumor going around. But um, by my studies over the last 22 years, I might be actually able to prove that it indeed has something to do. The cave forming in this area here 
um, of horizontal cave that that is related to some bigger fracture zones inside the peninsula, which cross the whole peninsula. And those big fracture zones might very well be uh, formed by the big hit of that meteor on the peninsula. Whoa, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I think, well, I, I, I know for a fact, you know, I was, I was fascinated with that area. So, you know, when I've seen um some of your you know pictures on instagram and stuff it's amazing really amazing um part of the world i know um you know is, is tulum the you stay in is that where you stay now robbie yeah i'm in tulum yeah. it's, i know i know that that's a, a really beautiful part of the world um so it's uh kind of like kind of like paradise uh, and it's kind of like paradise and you get to do what you like to do actually it was paradise when I came here. I love that. I'm, uh, I, it was 8,000 people living in a town. It was just really that tiny little fisherman's town. And by now, it grew a bit too big for me and too hip. It's like a hipster paradise right now. And I do have a little bit of a beard, but I'm not a big fan of that whole hipster movement, you know. <laughs> but it is still, it is still a beautiful place. It's that the beaches are amazing, the um, jungle, the all the culture you have here in this area. You have these ruins. Um, I go out in the jungle, find new cenotes, stumble over ruins which have never been reported before. It is my, it's like in Janet Jones' life here, you know. And Wild Wild West, I can just go out and go explore and be free and that's what i love here even now still now yeah i suppose as you say it almost is like real indiana jones was was the the mayans in the yucatan as well is that the ruins you're talking that you're you're kind of yes. stumping over was that part of the attraction when you left germany or is that something you've kind of came to since you've moved to Tulum? that came all with that moving here because um i'm not too much interested in, in this stuff like culture and well I love it I love it in some part and food clo old clothes dances culture it's, it's cool uh, but I have seen now so many ruins that I, <laughs> I couldn't be bothered anymore you know and um, but it came also with the diving because um, going out there in those cenotes going out into these uh, places this, the caves that were those cenotes, the cenotes are the entrances to these to these systems. There's a whole Mayan myth about it. It's like um, the underworld is called Shivalba, where like my dive show is. Uh, well, my dive show is after that. No? Um, mm. So I called it after the underworld, and you were only able to go into those uh, into the underworld by passing those cenotes, which, which were sacred to the to the Mayans. And therefore, they also, at Cenotis, build it, uh, they built altars and stellas and stuff in some Cenotis, where they offer to the gods, offer to the underworld, and also threw stuff into the Cenotis. So we find um, bones, um, animal bones, human bones, um, pottery, sometimes a little bit of jade or obsidian that's stuff what the mayans had you know the, and um 
we around Tulum area, we in the countryside, so not too much big offering was going on, but we find stuff all the time. And um, I had the chance also to be involved in archaeological projects, and we were diving cenotes, for example, in the World Firmis uh, uh, site, uh, Chichen Itza, where many, many tourists travel to. We've been diving there, and there's like massive, hundreds of skeletons, um, thousands of pottery stuff, like plates, vases, and all that stuff, which was offered. And apparently even gold there, but that came from the Aztecs. So there was stuff proved that different um, cultures, like the Aztecs in Mexico City area, and the Mayans did trades and gave uh, presents to rulers to ruler, and then they threw it in the cenote because it was the best they could do with it. <laughs> they gave it to the gods, you know? Yeah. And so I've been involved in a lot of very, very interesting um, expeditions and explorations here in this area. So do you, um, have, have you became friends with, um, you know, local, local experts, local archaeologists to, to explore with? I have become friends and enemies with those guys. <laughs> well, sure. And enemies. And enemies, yeah. No, there's, a, there's some stuff going on here. I was, I was even uh, blamed that I would have stolen a human skeleton and federal police was investigating at me. But it was just some scumbags who tried to get rid of me, you know. And then I found out, we found out this archaeologist who did that was not even an archaeologist. It was a fake, you know. But that was a bad example. There is a lot of good examples too um, that we we have. That I'm working with archaeologists, official archaeologists, and with the um, ENA. It's called. It's the institution, the National Institution of Archaeology, and um, what is the other one? Um, history. History. <laughs> that's the short. That's the short part. It's ENA. And um, they, this guy is there in charge of anything you find or any archaeology in Mexico, and that's massive. They have so much stuff; it's incredible from like all over the country. And um, I'm working hand in hand with these people. I find stuff in new caves. I report it. And right now, um, we we built a new project with a, um, a friend of me from the states. And we, we actually want to bring more technology into this whole thing. So we do photogrammetry to make 3D models of findings of caves, of passages, um, using LiDAR to fly over the jungle, finding Rosinotes, and even ground penetrating radar to find spaces and holes on the ground with even going under, going under it. Yeah. So just changing just, a lot now. Just to, just to go back a little bit there, uh, Robbie. Why do why do people want to get rid of you? Why do they not Why do they not like <laughs> you being there? Uh, people which have success always have also people which don't like him. It's otherwise you don't have uh, success. Uh, and okay. By now, I think I can say I, I'm the explorer, the most experienced in the in the peninsula. And there's people they try to do that much, try to do the same thing, and they're not as they're not as successful and then it's maybe just um how to say um jealousy in some points well that 
the one the one which really wanted to get rid of me i discovered that the guy was a fake and I, and and that he had made this along his way that he got money and rewards by being a fake and i told everyone that he was a fake like public and to the government and so on and so on and they didn't like that that's where they wanted to get rid of me and when we said they wanted to send me back to germany there <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense didn't happen why why um is stealing skeletons is that a common thing in the, in these caves or unfortunately yes unfortunately yes there is we found the explorers found um at least a dozen let's say skeletons of ice age now we're talking of a of different uh period of time um we find either bones or uh, rests of archaeology right by the entrance and then that's most of the time mayan age 800 to 2000 years back but when we find bones farther in way in the cave um we've we we already almost have the guarantee that those bones were from last ice age because last ice age was when those cave systems have been dry the proof, oh, okay. the proof of that is all the stalactites and stalagmites. They could grow underwater. They grow when the cave been dry and dripstone coming through, the water coming through and forming dripstones. In that time, people used those caves too, and animals. We find tons of bones in the in these caves all the time. My record is nine elephants out of Ice Age times. And sloths, like giant sloths and ground sloths, I stopped counting because they, there's so many bones everywhere. But in the whole community, we also have found at least a dozen human skeletons out of that age, that ice age, so 12 to 13,000 years ago. And um, those bones are very interesting. For the longest time, they were considered the oldest uh, skeletons, oldest human remains of the of the um, of the whole Americas, from Canada down to to Fireland. And um, apparently, just there was just some proof that there was people way way long farther back than that. But it was the longest, the oldest skeletons for the longest time, and. Um, therefore very interesting and there's different groups which want to study it and it's a competition and it also also people play dirty there you know so are, are, so are, are people stealing skeletons to give to people to study is that what's going on no i don't i don't know um for example there's one group which say they are archaeologists and researchers they took nine of the skeletons but we found out with another team that they never had the permissions to do so so they took them out they have them in labs they do studies they do publish stuff but they never had actually really permits and that was also one thing which i which i published <laughs> and people wanted to get rid of me you know I was a, a bit of a threat to them for a moment there. It's understandable. I suppose it goes back, if, you know, in Victorian England, in sort of the early 1900s, there was a real craze mm. when Egypt was opening up of the, mm -hmm. the kind of rich people 
wanted a, a mummy and they would have mummy unwrapping parties and invite all their friends like, oh look at this mummy we've just got from Cairo and they would literally unwrap it and pull it to pieces as part of a dinner party so that sounds great with a couple of, couple of beers and unwrap yeah. the mummy <laughs> <laughs> that, that, would, that would be it <laughs> just, just it still goes on if people are you know, taking those those remains out of caves, and I suppose some of them go to legitimate institutes. But I dare say some of them are found their way into people's, you know, <laughs> living rooms and bedrooms. And someone's got a, a an ice age skeleton as a, a point of interest. What, so, well, what one thing that um you know one thing that you 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 realize from you know doing this podcast is that there's some really strange and uh, obscure people in the world. Who, yes. You know, what, <laughs> what to steal? Skin. I imagine. It over that. I imagine. Yeah, no, it was it was really bad. It's those people they made. Uh, they really tried to set me up with that the amount they made with federal police, but then even um, tried to defame me in a, in a, in the newspapers. So they bought somebody at at the, at the local newspaper. And I made a four-page article in it, and they took internet out of the internet. They took pictures of me diving and two other guys, and they put them put out pictures in color, full size, saying these guys are the the leaders of a of a looter, a, a, a ring of of archaeology looters, and and selling it to the states. And he stole the skeleton, which is twelve million dollars worse and it's like what the hell is going on you know it's just yeah. they just really tried to get me badly in trouble and get me kicked out of the country but they, the good thing is that that same article they had um written that they had done at that stolen skeleton at a certain date at a certain time they have been there taking pictures, doing their research, and it was still there. And then, um, two days later, at the, just two days later, a diver went there to look at it, and he reported it stolen. So it had to be stolen in a frame of two days there, um, where it, in, in these two days, that was written in the article, and the good thing was, I opened up my passport and I had stamps of Brazil in there that I was in Brazil at these two days. So I was off the hook very fast, you know. Yeah. And it didn't work out for them. So it would, for me, that was very lucky that I was traveling at that time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So just because you mentioned, you know, being in trouble with the, the law, is there any, you know, in, in Tulum, is there any problems with, um, you know, obviously Mexico is famous for having issues with cartels. I assume Tulum's away from that, or is there, or is there influences there someplace? Um, let's say it like that. For the longest years, we didn't have any problems here. Nothing whatsoever. It was a little town mentality. It was peaceful. Most of tourists were backpackers. There was pot smoking going on and stuff so but that was that was just like all easy no bro no big problems um within the last years we can definitely tell there is more of this stuff going on and it is it is i would say to blame to the way how tourism has been growing here um 
to make it that hipster paradise, um, people come down here, they wrap themselves up in some nomad clothes, which is a rack off the floor, basically, <laughs> right? And then um, they get high and the new things are, um, what are the, those, the, the psychedelic stuff, you know, with the, because they call medicine and you find yourself and all that crap. Holy shit. And there's a big market, a big, big market for, for drugs. And of course, if you have a big, big drug market, people come and bring it. Mm. And, and again, just like the deal with, my, with the people, archaeology, different groups fighting each other, the drug people do too. No. Yeah. So it stays. I can say that way. It stays within the the like crime, drug related. Usually stays within the people which sell it. Yeah. Okay. Tourists tourists don't don't get involved. There's no no problem there. I think um, of what, what I realized so far, what I've seen over the last years. It, there is more crime, but it, it stayed within the cartels or the the drug yeah. selling people. Yeah. I suppose that is makes that, sense. Um, takes them, takes their, yeah. their, their income, doesn't it? Yeah. Say again, I, 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 I suppose it makes sense because if they're keeping it away from the tourists, the tourists will keep coming, the tourists will keep buying stuff, and then it keeps yeah. it rolling. It kind of makes yeah. sense. Yeah. It's, it's sure. a shame because it, it's a shame because it ruins. A really nice, uh, a nice little village. Um, yeah, it's a shame. Now, is there any? Uh, you know, does, does any of that stuff make you want to go explore someplace else or anything, Robbie? Is there any? I'm not a very social guy anyway. I'm, I'm, I'm not happy. I'm not a person going down to the beach and hanging around with the crowd. And I'm, I'm happy when I'm alone in the jungle, walking through the bush, <laughs> no people around me. Come yeah. back to my, come back to my family. Have lit, like little people, not so much people, around. and it gets yeah. every it, it gets every year worse. <laughs> I don't know. That's uh, sounds <laughs> that re, that reminds me of myself, Robbie. I, I like nothing better than to go into the Highlands in Scotland and be alone oh, yeah. in hills, away from everybody. <laughs> yeah, I could. I want to see those by one time, the Highlands. Yeah. Summertime for sure. I'm not making it. I'm uh, I'm actually heading off tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to leave tomorrow morning, go camp and go climb some hills in a little a little area that I really like. So um, awesome. tomorrow's supposed to be a really nice day. So yeah, I'm going to go and do that. So yeah, I would highly recommend highly recommend it at some point, Robbie. But is there any other areas you know around about South America that you know you you want to go explore and and get into? Or do you think you will you be based in the Yucatan for for life now? Um, not sure. Um, I but, but definitely my work's not ready yet. No, and um, when I came here in when was it 99, uh, 98, um, there was a number of around in between somewhere 300 to 400 kilometers of cave passage already known in, in total, and now by, by 2020, it's close to 1,600 kilometers of known cave passage. That is, of course, not, all, not only my work, like, like Alistair said already in the beginning, 
uh, around 300 kilometers and somewhere around three to 400 kilometers is I think what I personally installed and discovered. Mm. Um, but in total with the whole diving community, it's, it grew up to 1,600 kilometers. You know? And what makes my expedition and explorations different to what most people have done so far um, in 2003, I started to look at different possibilities because what usually, what had limited explorers' um, possibilities or explorers' success to go more caves was their own mindset. When I came here and looked up to these big guys which were already there and they were my, my mentors and stuff, they said, oh no, you have to look always for cave which runs from northeast to southwest. That is the caves which are going because it runs straight to the ocean. So if it goes sideways, don't waste the time. <laughs> and then I'm looking at those caves, I'm, I'm collecting all the cave data as I could. I went out and asked other people, would you share your data with me? I went into some caves which were forgotten by the explorers and resurveyed what they had done. I went and explored more new cave and put that on the same map and I put together the big picture. And as I put this big picture more and more together, I get new clues and I say, hey, that really looks like there's a cave, there's another cave, there's another cave. They're like pearls, they're like pearls on a string. And when I, dive, when I dive in them, the flow comes always from that side and goes to that side. And then when I go to the next cave down here, it picks up the flow in the same pattern and goes down the next way. These caves need to be connected because the water runs from there and comes to here. It's, it's so easy to see. So what I started to do was actually looking for connections of different systems which have been found. And I was successful. I started connecting one cave to another and one cave to another. And then even people which were big names in the area, like Bill Phillips, Jim Coke, uh, Mike Madden. And it's like, I said, hey, I want to connect this cave over here with that cave over there. And people were laughing at me and saying, hey, guy, what are you, what are you smoking? If I want some of that shit, you know? And, <laughs> And now, 20 years later, I, I were able actually to, to connect those caves, the Dos Ojos and the Sakak too. And, um, and even much, much more, because people were looking for that connection there that, at that special area, even before I got there. You know? But nobody could also believe that we'd go another 50, 15 kilometers like a crow flies down the road and connect caves into Loom Town with that cave. So um, I found a lot of new stuff, a lot of interesting stuff that actually cave does run parallel in several ways to parallel to the coastline and not just straight to it. And now with the, the with some new clues, new expeditions, I do actually believe that I can also at some point explain why all these caves have been forming. Um, nobody could explain that so far. Uh, nobody knows why, why it is that this cave, this massive cave system with 1,600 kilometers has been forming so far. And with, with making my big picture bigger and bigger, 
I do believe that all these caves, which even like I got awards for, for like the biggest water-filled cave in the world, they're just a byproduct. All these caves are just a little byproduct of a massive fracture zone which runs parallel to the Caribbean coastline. It's called the Holwash Fracture. And this is really the mother cave of these other caves. This is where water runs like, you could imagine it like a normal river and on a, on a topside river anywhere, the Thames or whatever, the Nile, and it goes over hundreds, hundreds of kilometers carrying water through the whole country, across the country. And it does that here too, but underwater. It runs all in cave underwater. And this whole bush fracture is very, very close to the Caribbean coast. There's only a thin strip of limestone separating the Caribbean coast and the whole bush fracture. And yeah. There's a lot of water with big pressure running through that whole bush fracture and that thin limestone layer is not strong enough to hold that pressure inside. It seeps out, it, 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 um, it's hiding out, it's going out to the ocean because there's not a lot and not, not enough pressure, not enough force to hold it. Where you towards the inland have a massive, massive plateau, the whole peninsula of Yucatan, but towards the ocean, only that fine strip. And what I even more believe is the ocean currents along the Caribbean coast, they pulling up really strongly to the north along the coastline, and they also pulling out, sucking out the fresh water of that um, whole bush fracture. And that's how those caves have been formed. That's my theory right now. And I'm on that right now. That's my work now, my exploration work, that I will find proof for that theory. You know? Ah, man, I, I yep. fucking love nature. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, nature is amazing. Nature is amazing. So when, when you're doing these expeditions that you're talking about, Robbie, how, how long are you underground or uh, and underwater for when you know you're you're doing these connections and you're making the connections from cave to cave how on an average um how long are you are these expeditions lasting for um the good thing is in this area here um i'll be bored right now and it's already midday and i gotta say okay i go out and explore I, I just take a truck, I drive out in the jungle, and I can do a two, three hour dive in the afternoon and come back home. Easy, you know? And I have been in a place where no person had been ever before me. <laughs> it's so easy. You know? But um, especially when it is like um, when I'm looking for a connection in between two different systems, um, it's not easy because if it would have been easy, it would have been done. It, it usually. It usually is like that people which have been exploring in a certain area stopped because conditions got maybe too difficult. Cave got too small, all very silty. So you're moving in there, you make everything milk and you have to come out blind following the line you installed. It's, it's kind of stressy sometimes, no? But um, yeah. I, I was people, gonna say Yeah. <laughs> so, People, people stop in some areas, but that's usually where I start again. 
to go there, poke into the wall, look for even the smallest hole, looking through, is there anything you can go through or around and make your way to the other side where another system is sitting and waiting to be connected. And I try to make the in time, in, 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 water, time, the in water time, usually as small as possible. That's for example why I'm uh, looking for cenotes, a new entrance or entrance which are at the, to the, clo the closest to the area where I want to start exploring and pushing in somewhere. I don't want to go like do long scooter dives and take six, seven tanks to finally get there. Because what problem is with that, as deeper you go into a cave, is more your balls shrink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and you, you do need a set of fresh balls when you want to try to push through some place where you have to take both tanks off, even making the hole bigger that you can fit through and then push through and everything goes milk because the visibility gets all fucked up, excuse my French, um, gets, all, gets all bad. And then that they need to be, you need to be, you need to have your shit together and you need to have strong nerves, you know? And very often I stop diving or dive because it got too much or I get to a point where I say, okay, not for today, not for today. Even if I would have a lot of gas left to go, but need to turn around because it was enough for today. And then you go again and again and again. Yeah, and then, yeah leave this, my gear out in the jungle, hanging in between the trees and come back with your tanks and go again and again and again. That's probably the most difficult part of exploration in this area, to not give up on a special area. That the connection of Sakaktun and Dos Ojos, I was searching for 14 years. <laughs> I didn't give up. Years. 14 years. Yeah. That's an uh, incredible patient. <laughs> well, <laughs> stubborn, I guess. Stubborn. <laughs> stubborn. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, that would be, that would be over, yeah. Stubborn. Yeah, that's, uh, that's incredible. We've had, we've had a couple of cave divers on our podcast um, over the last few months, haven't we, Chris? We've had yeah. Andy Torbett, um, who's uh, quite a big cave diver over here in the UK, and Yanis uh, Papastimu was also a cave diver. But we were talking to Andy, and he was talking about diving in the British caves, and there's a, a famous or infamous, depending on how you look at, entrance to one called, I believe, the letterbox. And it's about 11 and a half inches high entry point into the cave system. And Andy says that gets, at times in the year, it's already underwater at that point, And you're squeezing through, as you said, Robbie, putting your tanks through first, then squeezing through the gap in the dark and then putting your tanks back up and then, progress, and then having to do that on the way back out. And it just sounds terrifying to someone that's yeah. never done it before you know even you know when you're explaining there about the the silt coming up and water dropping to zero you know visibility to zero because I've, I've done scuba diving in the in the sea and sometimes even that you've only got you know in scotland you've got maybe two or three meters of visibility and that can be bad enough at times but the thought of absolutely opaque water must be as you say at times it must definitely make your ball shrink it does, it does, no doubt. <laughs> it, would make, it, it would make me quit. <laughs> no, 
No, there's also like I'm going home. <laughs> this is when when you when you got that exploring bug, then you when you when you got that when you got hooked on that, it's getting it's so addictive to go back and again and again and you want to find that connection and, and when you get the reward for it, like when you have yeah. have found it, it's such an amazing feeling and it's you know what's really cool too is it's you all by yourself. Usually in the in the in when it gets to this kind of diving where it gets really really small and milky and you can't see anything, your body would be a, more of a um, more of a, a danger to you than he actually would be a help because um, in this kind of diving the body team doesn't work. You cannot rely on your body that you, he could give you air when you when you need it. Um, because you don't even see him. <laughs> so, but then you want to get out and he blocks your way. These things just get worse and worse. And every movement makes more sediment, brings more up sediment up. So even you going in there, stirring it all up by yourself by searching a passage, and then you want to go back out, you'd really hope quick for some new and good visibility or better, that the visibility get better. But if you have now another dive in front of you, he kicks it up also. So you have bad visibility the, the, the way out too. It's, it's just getting worse. But when you work on a connection and you do a lot of dives and you go again and again and again and you run against the wall for a couple of times, 10, 20 times, it didn't work and finally you break through somewhere and it opens up again and maybe even rewarded by that search connection it's such a real moment because it's just you and you just go yes I did it and there's not even somebody around you but then it's all for you that that feeling you know it's cool sharing yeah. it's also cool sharing with people later but it, it's it's your moment it is huh? at, that, yeah. at that time you, you mentioned, I, I, I understand you mentioned a little bit earlier Robbie the I believe you said you got the record for the largest underwater cave. Did I hear you say that as you were chatting? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That was that last connection, um, Sakaktun cave system to Dozohos cave system. That made the, the largest cave in the world. Um, the, the, the one I, I took over, like getting bigger than Oshbel Ha cave. Oshbel Ha was for a long time the biggest, or actually was over the last years kind of kind of a bit of a race, it became a race. It was like, I got Sakaktun one time with Steve Bogart, we got Sakaktun bigger than Oshpel Ha. That was the first time Then Oshpel Ha became bigger as another team was exploring there. Then I made a connection again and Sakaktun was bigger again. And then Oshpel Ha went over and bigger again. It was kind of like a, this race. And for the last couple of years, Oshpel Ha used to be um, bigger and it stayed bigger and it stayed bigger and it, I, I was running against walls trying to connect Sakakun to Dos Ojos and finally, finally I, when I was able to do it, um, Sakakun became at one go about 70 kilometers bigger than Oshpelha. So there I had a bit of a time now to relax. <laughs> But again, now people are exploring. A lot of people are exploring it now again on the Oshpelha system or in this area. So um, I'm working right now on another connection, which I'm really close. Maybe hopefully in a couple of couple of days, couple of weeks, 
going to have some news that I add another system to Sakakun, which would be another additional 70 kilometers also. So that's just really go that's just going and going. And I'm also looking at my big picture and the theory with the whole bush fracture. I do believe that we only know the tip of the iceberg of caves here because the whole bush fracture runs from the tip of the peninsula all the way down to Belize. So yeah. theoretically, okay. it is one cave from Belize to the tip of the, the to the to the peninsula tip of the peninsula, and then all the byproduct caves that river delta which is growing towards the Caribbean Ocean. So if that is true, we know maybe five percent. If I want to put it in percent, which is really difficult to do about yeah. something you don't know what it is. That was. Um... That was going to be my next question. How you know as what, what's the what's the potential for more caves? You know how big could it possibly be? Endless. Um, this is the thing about this is this is the the fascinating thing about anything to do with um, archaeology or you know exploring is that you never know what's still potentially there or what is possible, uh, and you know, until you've until you've covered every square inch of the earth. Uh, we don't know, you know, we don't know everything, so um, hopefully there's some uh, incredible finds. Maybe you'll find the, uh, you know, maybe you'll find the Aztec lost city of the gold. <laughs> <laughs> I, I doubt it. I doubt it in this area here. The mines, the, the, the Mayans currency was chocolate beans and painted feathers. <laughs> it's like, yeah, right, great. <laughs> should, should have been somewhere else. Inca, uh, Inca style. Yeah, well, you know, you never know. Maybe the cave goes really you never far. know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's so fascinating. It's just, uh, it's one of those things where I think it'd be cool to go and see for yourself, to go in some of these cave systems and kind of have a look around about would be really amazing. Uh, anytime, maybe. anytime you like, because be there. there is diving for everybody here. I mean, um, we can take people which are e not even cave certified into a couple of cenotes which are big cavern zones. So it's like huge openings, a lot of daylight coming in, and we can go in like the first 60 meters. Every trained scuba diver can do that. Who has a, a good buoyancy control? Every trained cave diver, uh, every trained scuba diver can do it, and that is already amazing, amazing. But then, if you also later say, "Hey, wow, I want to do cave diving class, or want to learn how to cave dive," suddenly you have a thousand six hundred kilometers of system for you to discover. You know? Yeah, it's just yeah. it's a it's amazing area. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. How um how have you been affected uh, just now, Robbie, with with the you know the COVID thing? Is that a, an issue for you just now, or are you okay? No, completely broke. Now <laughs> I don't know even know if I'd be able to reopen. I oh, had really? a, a dive shop and a little hotel, and um, I didn't have any income since. When was it? April. And I had to let go of all my employees. And I don't know if I, if it keeps going the way it is right now, I don't know if I'll be able to reopen if I get that curve there. 
get reopened. But on the other hand, don't worry about me. I'm, I'm, I never stay on the ground. Doesn't matter how often they got hit me down. I always find a way to to move on. You know? Yeah, that's uh, pretty pretty uh, bad to hear. Um, is this Tulum as a, as a whole? Is it like no tourists at all just now there? Is that the the issue? Um, we get some American tourists coming in right now. Um, it's almost it seems to be every day some more, but it's it's definitely not enough yet to to feed everybody because it was it became a huge a huge tourist um, place here, and everyone depending on tourism there is nothing else in uh, no income no other income than tourism on the peninsula um, even the car mechanic only works if he can repair the car of somebody who runs who works in tourism there's nothing else there's, there's no agriculture there's no industry nothing on the peninsula and that is hard so every single one here depending on tourism, and there's just too few tourists that you could actually survive in the long run, if it doesn't change, you know? If it doesn't change, yeah. who knows? So, um, yeah. have, you had a, have you had a lockdown then, Robbie, or is it just the tourists have been locked down so can't travel? Or is it a combination of both that's impacting it? Well, both. I mean, lockdown was pretty much everywhere in the world, right? And then flying was a problem nobody could get out of countries or in and it still is now you know um the only ones coming pretty much right now is um americans because americans want to get out of there but they don't let go anybody else in <laughs> america has the whole the highest COVID, the highest COVID numbers too you know yeah. so the whole nobody really knows where where the whole thing will go not yet i i think yes yeah theories and i think this and you think that but what's really happening i have no idea but what i do know if it if it doesn't get better quickly i can i'm in a position where i cannot keep my business the way i had it yeah well let's let's hope uh things pick up kenny quickly then yeah um yeah yeah that was uh we had a, we had a little low note there let's make it let's make it cheery again, make it again. <laughs> all right it was a bad point now yeah well that's that's life that's uh the thing is, the like thing is they, they sell beer again through the lockdowns and beer was there was no beer to buy but <laughs> oh. back we got beer back if it's, that's uh, not uh, if it's sunny if it's sunny and you can get beer Everything will be fine. Yes, I think so. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. You were saying as well, Robbie, that you did you say you did diving as part of an expedition at Chichen Itza as well? That's right, yeah. Um, and, and is it near the like the kind of the uh, UNESCO site for the tourists or is it in the kind of surrounding area? How close are you to the sort of main monuments that you kind of see in the you know, the tourist books for want of a better word? No, in some places we were walking with our gear through the tourists, like through the inside the site. We were climbing up a, a, a one of we climbing up in on top of one of those um, pyramids, yeah. and they had built like a, a type of a shaft or a well into the top of the pyramid. We were rappelling down through the pyramid, 
into a natural cave which was there before they built the pyramid. It's so that is the really Indiana Jones stuff, you know. Totally. Yeah, so <laughs> that's that was some cool, some cool expeditions. And then a bit farther out there was the Diamonds and Northeast and but it's it's really amazing. It's yeah, there's that area is protected and it does definitely need um permits from government to be able to, to go there. Yeah, and was that what you said you were finding the was that where you found the the sort of larger amounts of human remains and has it been pretty much decided now that they were were they sacrifices rather than you know thrown in as dead bodies or what's the current thinking in regards to that um i do believe i do believe that all of that was happening in different sites um there is places where the scientists the archaeologists have Proof as much as you can prove, um, half proof, right? Um, that this that there was ritual rituals going on. Like for example, the main cenote is inside the Chichen Itza site. You know, there's there was human bones in there. They were taken out a long time ago, but they do believe it was um, um, rituals and gifts to the gods. Then there is another site not so far away from here. Where we where we have 118 skeletons um, in the bottom of the cenote, and it is believed that that was a graveyard for the for the upper 10,000 of that city nearby, which is called Koba. So not everyone had the privilege to go there, but it was for maybe the royals. To put, that was their graveyard. So they when they passed away, they were put in there. No? Um, because some of the skeletons, or most of them actually, or of this skulls mainly had, um, um, how is it called? Um, they were they were manipulated during life. What people did, for example, on little babies, or what the what the Mayans did on little babies, they were putting with ropes two two wooden planks planks onto the back of the head of the of the children when the, the cranium is still soft so they deformed the the, the, the shape of the grain of the of the skull because it and that was just a privilege for the for rulers to be like to do that um that's also what archaeologists believe I mean I'm just I'm not an archaeologist but I'm, that's what I heard and learned working with these people no? or some of them had um, jade inlets inside the the, the te their teeth, so they made holes into the teeth and then squashed uh, jade in there, or filed the teeth that they had the shape of like um, triangle, all of them, some some that it looked like an, a wild animal and stuff like that, which was apparently a warrior privilege, you know, um, stuff like that. And then, it, sounds, uh, it, sounds, it sounds a bit crazy that you would squash somebody's head with some wood or file teeth as a privilege. Yeah, yeah. And, I don't know that there's... And then there was, the Egyptians did it as well, didn't they? The Egyptians were like Akhenaten, had the heads bound with cord to form the extended skull. Yeah, yeah that, that is not only in the Mayan culture like that. There's some stuff like that. 
And in books they had found also that the uh, a sign of beauty was when people had, how is that called, when your eyes go like that? Or cross-eyed. 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 So they, they, they did take a piece of hair, or a bit of hair, and put a little a co uh, chocolate bean or something in the front hanging right here on little kids so they always were looking at that bean so they make their kids look like with a long pointy head be cross-eyed and file teeth and think that's sexy <laughs> I mean, and, and it was and it was also it was also a status symbol to be fat because that you could see oh they are rich they can eat so fat cross-eyed deformed head <laughs> Wow, how could you resist, right? <laughs> well, in, in time, people go through different fashions, I think. And but this, it, this sounds like um, funny. This, this sounds like most of the girls are interested in me. <laughs> <laughs> He's not even joking, Robbie. Yeah, well, <laughs> That is yeah. tremendous. That is tremendous. Yeah. Uh, an interesting, it's it's yeah. interesting not to find that's what they did and they found, you know, evidence of that as well, that it's not just a crazy rumour and a, you know, some carving on a wall that people have deciphered. You've actually got the physical proof of that. Is, yeah, it's quite yeah exactly. And then in, a, in another case, we found um, that, was a, that, that was a really small, nasty, muddy hole and we crawl in there, it was just big enough to just like just be pulling in there and then we come into that little chamber and there was um, around 12 skeletons, 12 uh, skulls in there and there the archaeologists believe that they that they dumped these people because they were sick they were deformed skulls. They were huge skulls and stuff, and um, and they believe that's my little daughter right there. <laughs> Get to mommy. Come on. Um, so they believe that that was sick people which had been dumped, like uh, trying to get rid of them because they had like a plague or something. You know, yeah. and so they put them in, shoved them into that hole. So there might be a lot of different reasons why bones ended up in in those cenotes. No, and some of them show probably just as 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 trivial as fell in, <laughs> fell in and drank. You know. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, but there was a lot of stuff going on. Is there um, is there anything any any um, anything that's rumored that you would like to explore, uh, Robbie? You know, is there anything that you have heard whispers of that something may exist and that you would like to find it? Is there anything like that? There is one place I really, really would love to be within the team to open to get in there um, um, as the first people. Um, there is a huge chamber, a huge synod to be found right underneath the main temple of Chichen Itza. It, it is even that they, they found this, that the cenote is underneath the temple um, by um, ground penetrating radar. They, they, they sent the, 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 um, 
the waves down and realized there was like a, a huge chamber, an empty chamber, and they saw they were able to see the water too. And there could be something which would be a passageway coming up out of that room, but the last layer of the pyramid is closing it down. Because this is Maya pyramids, they started kind of small and then they put another layer on top and another layer on top. So the, the center pyramid is way, way older than the outside one. It's like a bit like a onion. And um, apparently it looks on those pictures that they even tried to close down the passageway into the cenote um, by take, putting that, that last layer on top of it intentionally. So if that is true, that they had an axis there and it would, the pyramid was built on top of it, the cenote down there must be loaded full, full, full of uh, artifacts. Must be. Wow. So I was working with a group of, of scientists which tried to get a permit for, for excavations there that we could maybe get into there, but it takes time. But that's something I do really want to be there. <laughs> I yeah. want to be there. No, does it? Does it? Is there something? Um, are you never worried uh, that you might find something particularly gruesome, or that you never have any fears about what you might find? Is that something? Is that not something that worries you? Are you not? Are you not scared that you're 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 going to um, get a curse or? <laughs> no, 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 not really, no, no, no. We're not, we don't have any mummy unwrapping parties, so I, I, don't, I don't think the curse will get me. Yeah, no, no, no curse of the Jaguar God or the, the Jade Princess or any other B movie type title. Probably not, but there, I, I had some encounters which were like amazing at one time i went exploring went into a cave um went through a tunnel for about a kilometer and came popped up in a new cenote which i which i didn't know which i didn't nobody knew that it's there and i pop up in the middle of the jungle and there's the ceiling above my head and i look with my light it's like oh beautiful cave wow and i go over this way and where the ceiling came together with the floor my light beam, my dive light, is reflected by two beams coming back like that. Like, Holy shit, what's that? <laughs> and as my eyes adjusted a little to the darkness, there was a full-grown jaguar laying right there at the, at the, in the corner there. And it stand up and start walking towards me. And it was just like in Discovery Channel or something, the head down. The shoulder blades were going up and down and above his head. Came through the daylight, and it was just amazing. When the sun hit the fur on that animal, it was crazy. It was so beautiful at some point, and it was the scariest moment in my life too. <laughs> I was at the same time, and I was just yeah. freezing. I couldn't move anymore. My last thing in my head was blended <laughs> with a knife, like blended. You know? <laughs> So I held my light like this into its eyes. I was still ways in the outside of the, in the water, and the cat was just right in front of me, stopping, standing right in front of me, three meters away. So we were like right eye to eye eye contact, and me frozen with my light. The cat started walking along the water line there, 
up and down, like in the zoo when they walk along, along the cage, but there was no cage, <laughs> it was just a cat, you know? And then it stopped in front of me again and went down like this. And I said, oh my God, it wants to jump. And I tried to get backwards and I couldn't. Couldn't know why, but it couldn't. But I lowered the light. And as I lowered the light, the cat, the cat stunned up again. And I put the light up again and the cat went down again. And then I could see it only was curious what's behind that light. And it couldn't probably sense me because I was covered in neoprene and just coming out of the water, so I didn't smell a human. So it was curious, what's there? And then I, it, my visibility got worse and worse and I couldn't figure out what the problem was, but I couldn't see the cat anymore. And then I realized I had still my mask on and because I was sweating like a pig, I was, it started to fog up, you know? So I swear, it took all my force, all my power I had to get that to lift up that mask and have it like halfway there <laughs> and I could see the cat again. <laughs> it was like, oh, frozen again. And then it starts just like walking up and down again, looking and I guess when I took that mask off, it starts smelling me. So it got a little more uneasy, you could tell. And it disappeared behind a huge boulder. Looked one more time like that. Oh yeah, it's still there. And then it walked out in the jungle and disappeared. Then I looked at my computer, my dive computer, and it was 10 minutes surface time. I was 10 minutes that close with that cat. That was the 10 longest minutes of my life. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's lucky. I think you got the, 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 the cat in a, a good mood. I guess so. Yeah, that's the, uh, super cool. And as we head on to now, I think that's a beautiful point to start wrapping that up on because that is a super cool story, uh, Robbie. That right. is awesome. <laughs> just before we all um, before we all head out here, just if people are interested in yourself, Robbie, and would like to find out a bit more about you, where can they uh, find you on social media or on the internet? And we'll put this in the notes and we'll send some bodies your way. There is a webpage called robbieschmidtner.com. It's double B I E, like Robbie Williams, so, well, like that. <laughs> and Schmidtner is double T, no? Robbie okay. Schmidtner, uh, dot com. Um, same in Instagram and Facebook is actually called, I think, Shibalba Schmidtner. But also, if you Google my name, you find it, Robbie Schmidtner, and you yeah. find you find all those things. That's awesome, yeah, so, um, definitely. And I think uh, we will we will keep up to date. Uh, through Instagram with what you're doing, and if you eventually get the permit, um, you know, for 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 the the exploration that you want to do, we will, uh, you know, we'll we'll speak to you again at some point. Hopefully, if you get underneath there, and yeah, that's sure. awesome. Sure, um, sure, sure, awesome. Yeah, thank you very much for for taking the time, Robbie. And it's a uh, it's been a pleasure, and it's uh, you know, your work is really fascinating. Um, uh, so yeah, thank you very much. Cool. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank one question. You yeah. Could you, could you send me one of those mugs, the silly goose game? One of these mugs? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> cool. We'll get awesome. Absolutely. We'll get your address and we'll get that sorted out for you, Robbie. That is not a problem at all. <laughs> awesome. Oh, one more thing. One more thing. I do have, I've got, I'll make it very quick because I forgot to completely bear it. I do have a awesome project starting it's called the shunan ha expedition shunan ha is the lady of the water i'm gonna have in february the first all-female 
cave exploration running here in the jungle. I'd be just there for location and help with like finding the cenotes and stuff, but I have some very ta talented female divers that go out and try and make some connections and exploration. Okay. And it will be an awesome project, but we need help from people out there. We made a GoFundMe project. You can see that all on all of my, um, um, what is it called? Um, social media and webpage, mm -hmm. the Shunan Ha project, look it up, it's very cool, there's some very, very talented female divers going to do the first all-female expedition and we do need a little bit of help of it because of this corona, we, we have no money to, to make it happen, but we, if some people out there could help a little bit and we make help making it happen, it's not only the first uh, first female exploration, it will also be um, a project which helps for conservation of the aquifer of the, of the peninsula of Yucatan and the jungle and all life here in this area. So look that up in my news, please. Uh, we will have a look and we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. send people that way, yeah, definitely. Uh, we'll, we'll, put a tag, we'll put a tag into the show notes on our uh, Instagram and uh, YouTube and Facebook pages and we'll try and get as many people your way as we can, Robbie. Awesome, that's great. Well, episode 34, Robbie Schmittner, thank you so much for the time. It's been really enjoyable. We've had some awesome stories, which are always Take your silly goose gang mug, and you can become an honorary silly goose with us. <laughs> <laughs> episode 34 in the can. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, guys. The Silly Goose Gang Podcast.